0: Impact of influence, the Murdoch family murders. This is the unfolding story of a powerful South Carolina family, the mysterious deaths they are linked to, and our quest to bring you the truth. Hello, friend. So grateful that you are spending time with us. I'm Matt Harris. Seaton Tucker is here. And who knew the Murdoch case when we began this thing back in June of... Twenty twenty two. I know. I believe it's hard to to it think back. Hard. Yes, uh, when it was just uh, ten days, perhaps after the murders of Maggie and Paul Murdoch, that we began this podcast, not really knowing what we were doing. And now we may have another trial. We'll get into that in a moment. But first, uh, they can get on Facebook. And look up Impact of Influence. They can go to Matt Harris Podcast at gmail.com. I'm very slow at responding to email, but I'll try to get back to you when I can because things just got crazy again. Seton and I recorded a podcast and then got in our vehicles and drove down to Columbia. And I, I think before we even get into this possible retrial, a lot of people who listen aren't familiar with the geographical situation of South Carolina. So We live near Charlotte, North Carolina. Charlotte is about an hour and a half from Columbia. And then from Columbia to Charleston, it's another hour and a half, two hours. And from Columbia to Walterboro, what's that? Two Something like I've that. never
1: driven it straight from Columbia. I always yeah. take kind of back roads, so but I'm not totally sure. But
0: Columbia is the the capital of South Carolina, and that's why a lot of the press conferences and, and such are there. And that's where Dick Harpootlian, who's a Senate, state senator, has his office. That's where all the prosecution, uh, the, the attorney general's office, that is there. So it's all in Columbia. It's in Walterboro and uh, Moselle and the, the properties we talk about. That's all called a low country.
1: Right. And this press conference that was held yesterday was in front of the court of appeals, which is in Columbia.
0: Yeah. We've been hearing this buzz for a bit. Let's start with uh, Dick Harputlian and Jim Griffin's opening statement.
2: Today, Jim Griffin and I filed a petition based on newly discovered evidence with the South Carolina Court of Appeals to stay Alec Murdoch's appeal while a hearing is held on a motion for a new trial. Concurrently, we've sent a request South Carolina U.S. attorney to open a federal investigation into the violation of Alec Murdoch's civil rights. The allegations in the petition filed today speak for themselves, but we believe they explain a number of peculiarities in the six-week trial. We request that SWED stand down on initiating any investigation of these allegations since they are heavily invested in maintaining Alec's convictions. We suggest they wait for the Court of Appeals to rule and receive direction from the trial court. If the Court of Appeals remands the case for an evidentiary hearing, if the the Court of Appeals remands the case for an evidentiary hearing, we would also request that those in the media and the public respect the privacy of those in filing. Jim and I want to thank those on our team who stand behind us and, and have worked tirelessly to ferret out the truth. Alex Murdoch maintains Maintained and still maintains his innocence in the murder of Maggie and Paul and believes the truth will ultimately prevail. Jim?
3: The right to a jury trial is a fundamental principle of our justice system. Jurors must be free from outside influences and must decide the case solely on the evidence presented in the courtroom, subject to the rules of evidence, subject to the rules of the court, and most importantly, Subject to the crucible of cross-examination that's guaranteed by the Sixth Amendment to the Constitution, and that is the right to confront witnesses. When when a jurors are, receive private communications outside the confines of a public courtroom, the Sixth Amendment is violated, and numerous other constitutional rights are violated. And that's not Jim Griffin on the law. That is the law of the land. And I want to quote from a decision from the South Carolina Court of Appeals, which is behind me, and states this, where there is a private communication of a court official to members of the jury, an occurrence which cannot be tolerated if the sanctity of the jury system is to be maintained. A new trial must be granted unless it clearly appears that the subject matter of the communication was harmless and could not have affected the verdict. What we had filed today, Supported by sworn testimony of jurors is that the clerk of court had improper private communications with the jurors and the subject matter The subject matter of those communications was the credibility of the defense That the Murdoch legal defense team put up and it was a believability of the defendant's own testimony Now there's been a lot of said talked about whether Alex should have taken the stand I can assure you I can assure you when we considered what factors and what we should and should not do and considered whether he should take the stand, we never considered the likelihood, as reported to us by the jurors, that the clerk of court would go in to the sanctity of the jury room before he testified and tell the jurors, don't be fooled by his testimony.
1: So, I've seen a lot of uproar on social media because there's lots and lots of people who think Alec Murdoch is completely guilty of this and I think there's a misunderstanding. This is not about whether he's guilty or innocent. It's about whether he got a fair trial.
0: And there's also a couple of things in there that I thought are worth uh, pointing out. One is the federal investigation part of it. Yes, that he mentioned in there, which uh, they are saying it was a violation of Alec Murdoch's civil rights, and they sent note to the State Department, and we'll get more into that as to why. But that's something important in the in the in the opening statement there. Plus the wanting SLED to stand down.
1: Yeah, That's big. I think so, too. I mean, they're, they're saying that SLED was heavily involved, invested in this investigation, so it's not appropriate for them to be handling it. And I think later on in the press conference, they, they said FBI or possibly another, uh, like a sheriff's department who was not locally involved.
0: Yeah, all, all that uh, Harpoon Lee said he wanted was not SLED. Uh, and SLED has been investigating. We, we know that for a fact. Uh, because of many sources telling us that they have been down there talking to people jurors etc when i say down there it's like columbia to the low country
1: well and this could all just be Harperland you know really just trying to get people riled up but he did mention that the sled officer of the year was the, the person david owens david owens who gave untruthful testimony to the grand jury
0: about the blood spatter on the shirt right yes
1: well, and the untruthful, to, to be fair, just to preface yes. that, we don't know for sure that he intentionally gave untruthful testimony. We right. know that that blood spatter, impact spatter, whatever it is, did not prove it to to be true. He,
0: he presented it in front of the grand jury, but they didn't use it in the trial because it was proven to not be admissible.
1: Right, but he could have believed that uh, at the time that he yeah. testified to the grand jury that it was, in fact... But
0: right. Also, there's two affidavits, correct?
1: Yes, I believe two are from jurors and one is from a paralegal who spoke with a juror.
0: Okay, let's get that straight out of the gate here. Uh, now, I asked a question, I think a second question of the press conference as to what timeline they wanted and uh, when would they expect a response. A person's like, oh, you got to ask them, pointing to the Court of Appeals. But then he said... 10 days but what are they hoping for what's going to happen
1: well the defense team is seeking an evidentiary hearing where they speak to these they interview these jurors they're called in now this will not be in front of the public we will get transcripts but we have to protect the identities of the jurors this would be a hearing where they question these jury members about what happened during the trial the state should file a response in 10 days, but they could also ask for an extension. That's possible.
0: Okay, I wanna pull up another clip here from the presser.
3: And one one thing we want everyone to understand that the clerk of court is an elected official by the people, not appointed by the judge, not appointed by the judiciary. It's a public official who's elected and is an independent state actor. And so what we're complaining about in the motion that we filed today is the conduct of an elected official, not conduct by Judge Newman or anybody in the unified court system.
2: And I think it's important also to understand that she is a state actor, and that's why we forwarded today a letter to the U.S. Attorney asking them to open an investigation into the violation of Alec Murdoch's civil rights by a state actor under under color of state law.
1: The clerk of court for Carlton County is Becky Hill, and we actually interviewed her on our episode 130 if you want to go back and listen to it. Um, I think some of the things that they are alleging, now these are just allegations at this point. They have not been proven in a court of law. But they're saying that the clerk should be responsible for things like food and lodging, transport, mm-hmm. transportation, those sort of things, and that those really should just be their, their interactions. But I, should, I also want to mention that the clerk of court is the easiest person to blame because they have the most contact with the jury they're supposed to come to her if they need anything so she's she's a target right there
0: it remains to be seen what specifically she said now uh, we're going to revisit some of Becky Hill's interview we had with her she was sweet as could be to us that doesn't mean that she didn't do what's alleged I'm just telling you she's Perfectly great to us.
1: No, she's a lovely person.
0: So there's a few things, uh, the allegations and tampering. Asking jurors not to believe Murdoch's testimony or any evidence presented by his defense. Pressure them to reaching a a quick guilty verdict.
1: Yeah, they mentioned that um, there were six smokers on this jury. (laughs) And that during the trial, they were allowed to go out and have smoke breaks. But they were told during deliberations they would not be allowed to.
0: They say, I think Dick at one point, and says that you know in and of itself that's not a big thing but with all the other things because they used to be they're used to getting their smoke breaks and if you're pressuring them into coming to a quick verdict that's not okay
1: well and another thing that uh, i think jim griffin mentions in this interview is uh she says when Alec murdoch is testifying she said things like don't let the let this distract or mislead you. Mm-hmm. And that possibly if they had been privy to this information, they would not have put Alec Murdoch on the stand.
0: Yeah, she had, she's accused of having frequent, Becky Hill is accused of having frequent private conversations with the jury person, including a private chat with her during the jury's field trip to Moselle. Well,
1: I want to, I, I do want to play devil's advocate with this a little bit, because if this is the foreperson, this, this person could also have been talking to her about things like, logistical things like lunch or breaks or that sort of thing. So we don't know what these conversations entail. Well
0: we know what the four person alleges, right?
1: No, I don't think this I don't think this is um well, that's not
0: the four person no. egg lady.
1: No, egg lady was not the four person. <laughs> egg lady's the
0: one who got booted. But
1: we should also talk about the four person. So Judge Newman appointed the four person, but the jury, I guess, believed that they were gonna elect the four person. So Judge Newman didn't appoint the four person the same person as what the the, I the about fellow that. fellow jury members had selected.
0: Yeah, I for, totally forgot about that happening, and we referred to the egg person because it's the woman who's very involved in this because she got booted from the jury, and she said she when they told her to leave, she had to leave and get her belongings. She had eggs in the room where the jury hung out, and so we called her the egg woman.
1: Well, the former. Four person, the one who was not selected by Judge Newman, who thought she was the four person, in this filing says that she was criticized for offering another jury a tissue during some testimony. I guess that was upsetting.
0: Hmm. I want to pause for a second and let you hear from Jim Griffin. You
3: know, the information we got, I can tell you, was independent of each juror. The first jury we talked to, we got information about this hill saying, don't be fooled. And, and then the second juror, independent of the first juror, says the same thing, and the third juror, independent of the other two, say the same thing. And so we're very confident that the information is accurate.
2: I think what's interesting to me, again, having done this for so long, is that we, once we had that initial contact with that first juror, uh, we began going around, we had a list, and knocking on, literally on Sundays, knocking on jurors' doors, asking them to speak with us. Some of them wouldn't come out. Some of us told us never to come back, um, but but some did, and some talked to us.
1: Okay, so previously in this press conference, Dick Harpootlian says that, I guess they were riding around Colleton County, dirt roads, knocking yes. on doors. I He's guess like, that's we're when, city boys. That's when they got the Heisman.
0: Yes, he said, uh, we're, we're, we're city boys. We were on these dirt roads. I didn't even know these places existed.
1: Right, which is your state
0: senator, Dick. Yeah. You might want to get on that. <laughs> Take a little break and uh, get you ready for some traveling you've got coming up. Some international trip where you want to be able to at least get around, right? So you want to learn the language of the country that you're going to. You want to experience it with a little bit of knowledge going in, and you can get a lot of bit of knowledge when you use Rosetta Stone. It's the most trusted language learning program. It's available on desktop. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Impact of Influence listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 40% off. That's 40% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 40% off at rosettastone.com backslash today. Let's talk about one of our sponsors. It is Factor you can eat stress-free this spring with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals.
1: Every fresh meal is never frozen and is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, uh, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, and they are ready in just two minutes.
0: Where did you have chili the other day? Delicious. And if you want gourmet meals, you can try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, asparagus. So head to factormeals.com slash impact 50 and use code impact fifty five zero to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box.
1: That codes impact 50 at factor slash impact 50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your next box. While your subscription is active impact 50 at factor slash impact 50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your,
4: Go to your happy price price line but
0: and and trying to cuz they don't have subpoena power or anything like that nobody has to talk to these guys
1: they don't have to but what to me was the most interesting thing about that clip was a lot of people started talking after Becky Hill's book yeah. came out
0: and i don't know exactly what it was about i'm, I'm that book that pushed their buttons was it that she was going to attempt to make money
1: yeah i don't really know exactly why they were angry um in this motion that they filed they say that you know her motive was to get this book deal and fame and fortune i i guess
0: but that we but which i doubt at least there's a lot of money rolling in on that book highly doubtful it's self-published and
1: right and and last night on uh court tv the co-author said that they self-published and they had to put up thirty thousand dollars of their own money
0: and but however i guess it doesn't really the point is not whether she made money or not to the jurors that just the they think she did maybe that's what it is right and as far as the money making that has nothing to do whether or not she spoke to the jurors inappropriately and whether there was an issue because the money in the book doesn't really come into play it's what she said what did she say to the jurors and will they be able to uh, prove it one of the things uh that's alleged in the affidavits uh is that she had asked jurors about their opinions about murdoch's elder innocence which she's not supposed to do they alleged she invented a story about a facebook post on the quote walter word of mouth group to remove a juror who might not vote guilty. And
1: And, and that wasn't why that juror was removed. I I guess she she says that she sees this post and she tells Judge Newman about it. Um, The post was removed. It didn't appear as if the post was even made by the husband.
0: Well, And and when Arpulia and Griffin were talking they said they pulled the ex-husband you know the ex-husband voluntarily came in to speak to them and they went through all his facebook history and there was no such post
1: yeah they voluntarily gave this ex-husband voluntarily gave all of his facebook information to the defense
0: but you're saying that the facebook post was not the reason she was removed
1: no the facebook post was not why she was removed it was another situation which in this affidavit it was I think it was the egg lady, the person who was removed. She says that she she owned some property and there was a refrigerator it's being a rental del- property. Yeah, rental property and there's a refrigerator being delivered.
0: She it- delivered the refrigerator. There was two people there. The one woman works at a Domino's, I think. I think both worked at Domino's. Both of them, okay. So they go to work, and I'm paraphrasing the story. One of them goes to work, tells another person at Domino's that egg lady delivered a refrigerator and said that she believes Alec is innocent or or something along those lines something that she shouldn't be saying so she tells the person her co-worker Domino's the person at Domino's calls SLED or somehow SLED gets word
1: and they show up at their house at 10 p.m. at night they're asleep and wake them up and interview them
0: this couple that's running the property from the juror gets woken up by SLED
1: at 10 o'clock at night
0: which is odd to me you could have waited right
1: and then they tell them to, that they have to come to the court to sign an affidavit the next day. And they keep them for what was it, nine, uh, nine hours?
0: Seven, I think. They held, her. they arrived at the courthouse at 9 a.m. the next day and were held for nine hours until 6 p.m. when SLED officers or a prosecutor finally presented typed affidavits to them saying they were their statements from the previous night that had been recorded by dash cam. So they signed them without reading them.
1: Yeah, they signed them without reading them,
0: and they and this affidavit, the egg lady, says that those two, the renters, told her that they never said that stuff. That they signed it because they were just tired and kind of delirious or whatever. That should be easy enough if it's on a dash cam, to prove or disprove, right?
1: Yeah, I would think so.
0: So, but it also the uh, the affidavit again is that's her opinion. It's all these third person things like even just the egg lady tells the dominoes person, the dominoes person tells a coworker, the coworker, blah, 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 blah. so they need to investigate a lot more.
1: It does seem like an evidentiary hearing could maybe answer some of these questions.
0: Yes. well, the, Cause right now it's pretty still up in the air. It, it, if she, at least on that particular issue, let's talk about a little bit about uh, Becky Hill's book. And again, you can go back and listen to our episode Number as I'm trying to get my thoughts all together. One thirty. One thirty. Yep. And we're gonna we're gonna take some excerpts out and 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 play them for you. So, but if you want to hear the whole episode, it's one thirty. So here's one of the a, set, a section out of one of the affidavits about the book.
1: Yeah, this uh, was one that they put in, not the affidavit in the motion. They say while the jurors viewed the Moselle property, we could all hear and see Alex's story was impossible. Some of us either from the courthouse, law enforcement. Or a jury at Moselle had an epiphany and shared our thoughts with our eyes. At that moment, many of us standing there knew. I think we all knew that Alec was guilty.
0: Yeah, she makes no bones about it that Becky Hill, the clerk of courts, believes Alec was guilty.
1: But I think also maybe part of the problem is they're saying this communication, even if it was just her eyes. I, I don't know. I mean,
0: the way it's worded is very, it needs clarification. I mean we said right from the beginning, right? You and I both and many people we're like, well this is odd, a clerk of court writing a book. I've not heard of such things. I, it may happen, and why we wouldn't know, I guess. And and Becky Hill explained that she went to what she believes were all the proper people.
1: Right. And I think hearing from her is obviously going to be really interesting, but yeah, when we when we interviewed her, she did go through proper channels. So let's go back and listen to a little bit of what Becky Hill said when she came on with us on episode 130. Well, you just mentioned that you're writing a book, which is called Behind the Doors of Justice. When did you decide to write a book and when will it be out?
4: I I think I first got the idea to write the book when we were preparing for the trial about four months before January of 2023, when we heard that the judge had ordered the trial to be uh, fast-tracked and that it would be held in January. So we did a lot of preparation here in Colleton. We met with law enforcement. We met with city officials, county officials. Everybody came together so well. So with the book, um, I kept copious notes during the trial. And the more that the trial went on, I could just tell that there was such a story to be told behind the doors of what was going on. There were so many things like the egg lady and what about those eggs, you know, (laughs) and more into the story of what was going on there so many things with the judge, with the people that came in the crowd, the crowds meeting at 3.30 in the morning sometimes, um, and different things that went on with the media. The idea came, and when the trial ended, I took two weeks off and to wrap my head around life and getting back to a normal kind of pace. And on the third week, I said, I really need to put this Mm -hmm. into writing. And that's when it happened. I connected with Neil Gordon, who lives in Augusta with his wife, Melissa, who's a photographer. And she had been to Colleton, and I met her on like the second to the last day of the trial. She and I immediately bonded. We connected about that third week in March, and the, the idea for the book became born. And I wrote furiously from the end of March until June, probably June the 1st.
0: Now, when you decided to write this book and you started to tell people that you're writing this book, how did the the fellow court employees or attorneys or judges or what was the feedback from the community within that courthouse about you writing this book?
4: Everybody wanted to know if they were going to be in it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
4: but it was overwhelming. I'd say it was overwhelming, encouraging And I've had a few friends, a few judges, a few uh, attorneys who were just just cautious about being an elected official and writing a book like this while an appeal is still in the process um, of being in the courts. Right. And so I've had to get authority from my uh, South Carolina Supreme Court Justice, Donald Beatty which he has given. I've gone before the ethics committee and I have um, something in writing from them that has told me that they allow this under certain conditions in which I have to follow. Okay. And so I've reached out to other people that are elected officials and talked to them about the way they handled it as well. So I am, I'm trying to be very, very um, cautious and doing the right thing about putting things in my book that are allowed and what's not allowed.
0: Let's get to Alec Murdoch. So how often did you interact with him?
4: Well, on a daily basis, every time he would come into the courtroom every morning, he still addressed me as good morning, Miss Becky. How are you? Now
0: you've known him. Did you know him before this?
4: I did. I did. I um, worked with him professionally as a court reporter and I worked with him You know, when he's an attorney coming into Colleton, um, even being in other places around the state, you know, we would get pleadings and stuff from the law firm. So I've known him for quite a while.
0: Are you allowed to talk about his demeanor? What was his demeanor during the trial? And did it change as he got closer to the end? Uh, Explain the vibe you got from Alec.
4: In the beginning, I think he was very jovial. He was very um, almost like he was an attorney there representing the. Representing another defendant, and then it, it began to get very, it began to get very. How would you say it? Very uh, tense. Mm. Um, the air got a little, little tighter um, when the prosecution brought out the fact that the Snapchat video um, gave a different story than what he was telling. Yeah. And uh, as the trial went on, things became more tense, and uh, not a whole lot of. Talking, and especially the ending days, it was it was very tough. Just just the courtroom was filled with a lot of uh, emotion. Mm. You
1: were the person who read the guilty verdict, and I was in the yes. courtroom at this. It was really surreal. How was that for you?
4: Well, I um, it didn't hit me until I knew the jury had a verdict, and then I thought, oh my goodness, I now have to read a verdict. I don't know what it is, but I hope it's the right thing.
0: And you could no one of us expected it to be that come back that quick. Did you I mean, you didn't expect it I would imagine?
4: We had heard talk that some people thought it was going to take all weekend. Yeah. Some people thought it would take into the next week. Some people thought it might even go two weeks. Um, yeah. I have to say that I had some interaction with my jury, and we didn't talk about the case, but I knew from questions that they had, and when we did the site visit to Moselle that next to the last day. We didn't have to say a word because everyone's eyes, everyone's quietness told the whole story. And it showed being there on that property. It's almost as if Maggie and Paul were speaking from the grave. That this is what happened. We could feel it. it. It was just it was just a feeling in the air, in the wind. That was a major game changer. I think that was. That was the top three in the game changing of the trial, yes.
1: This trial lasted so much longer than any of us expected it to last. How did the jurors hold up? Were they getting fatigued at coming in for six weeks?
4: I know they had to be tired. I do know that. But they were persistent. They were they were very bound and obedient to their job. They took every one of those jurors took their job as a juror so seriously. They They knew that it was serious. And I believe, I mean, I can't tell you what they did when they went home, but I know many of them said that they took the judge's order to be exactly that. Because he told them when they went home, they were not to watch any TV, not to talk to anyone about what had happened, not to listen to the radio, not to read the newspaper. And most of every one of them said they didn't do that. I believe them.
0: Well, I'm going to go back for a second. You said top three. So you got, there's Moselle. Uh says one, what are the other two that you put on the, on on the list?
4: Well, we might just say four. Um, so the Snapchat video came right out of the gate. Right. And I think the second one was the information about the vehicles and the cell phones. Okay. All of that information that you just can't argue with that tells a tale that is specific to a time and where a person is. And then the the third one I would say would have been the visit to Moselle. But I have to say also the jury did not respond well to the defendant getting on the stand and testifying. They were really, really turned off from that.
0: You see a lot of jury trials. Can you always read a jury pretty well as to how they, not necessarily the verdict, but how they react to testimony and things?
4: Most of the time you can. A lot of people can hide it. Most can't.
0: How often are you surprised by a
4: jury verdict? there's always that element of surprise but i kind of felt in that what they call that woman's gut i kind of knew what they were thinking and i had hoped and prayed that justice would be done
0: so that's a lot to digest in that episode <laughs> there's a lot coming down the road just in time for proceeding to go on vacation
4: yes <laughs>
0: you desperately need i'm not gonna lie <laughs> all right friends uh, we appreciate it we always are so grateful that you spent time with us. a lot of choices there I'll Reach out to us on impact of influence, impact of influence, impact of influence on Facebook or Matt Harris Podcast at gmail.com. and we'll talk soon, friend. Something is creeping.
3: Don't it Let me introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorized financial advisor from New Zealand, and a very special kind of stain on humanity. that we're all taken care
1: of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually.
3: To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport... Then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality.
2: That's how a scam begins. Convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who
3: run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6000 cash, give us each 3000 we give you this. Uh-huh. You go home and what you find out is cut up newspaper.
2: It's fun to know how the trick is done. And that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found.